Hello, welcome to our podcast, which has been freshly named Tomorrow Will Be Great, because I feel like we think that's kind of the epitome of running a small business, but it's the epitome of tomorrow will be better, tomorrow will be great, something great's going to happen, and that's the hope of a small business. And I think that like you wake up every day, I think today, today is the day that something really awesome will happen. Yeah, and even if not, tomorrow will be great, and exactly. that's how you do it. I know. I think I first remember, I mean, you came up with that. You said it randomly a few episodes ago. I think it got cut, but yeah. Oh, maybe it got cut. (laughs) Okay. Well, (laughs) um, Elise did say it at some point, but it made me think actually of Anne of Green Gables. And she started saying, tomorrow is fresh with no mistakes in it. It kind of reminds me of that a little bit too. Didn't ever get around to reading that book, but yeah. I like that. I don't know if I read the books or I just watch the movies a lot. It's a good vibe. Today we're talking about the concept and, I guess, concept of perceived success versus real success versus whatever anyone wants to do with their life. First, we'll just talk about success means different things to different people. And you should always, if you can, measure your own business or whatever you're doing by your own definition of success because it could be really different to me versus to Elise versus to somebody else versus to my dog. Success on different scales because it might be for a small shop, it might be having five to 10 sales today, but for a big corporation, it'd be like having 1500 sales today or more. And like maybe for a small maker, it'd be completing four or five of this one product. And so it's all very interesting because your form of success is not ever going to be the same as anyone else's, even if you find a quote, comparable brand or whatever, it's not going to be the same for you. And also they probably won't tell you what they think their success is. No, I know. And I think everyone always assumes everyone else is measuring on the same scale that they are and maybe they're not. No, because it's not necessarily always financial. It might be joy-based. Flexibility-based. Yeah, depending on how um, satisfied you feel with your life and your job. I know for me, I feel the most successful these days is when I have more time off to play with Oppie and just kind of have fun and not really do work-related things right now. Like to me that I'm like, yes, my day was awesome. (laughs) Yeah. And so that's just something to think about is that people might be like, oh, you seem so successful. But if, if you don't have say time to play with your pup, then maybe you don't see that as Then you're really sad because you're just working all the time and that's not fun. Yeah. But other people might be workaholics and be like, all I want to do is work. And I don't want to pet a puppy, which is fine if you don't like puppies. But, um, so it's all just, everything's measured differently and everything's really extremely personal. Yeah. And I think these days it's so hard to not look at all the other things going on around you and see that the grass is always greener on the other side. And a really good friend told me recently that no matter how well you think a company is, like let's say they seem like the perfect company, the perfect business, there's probably something going on behind the scenes that, that isn't yeah. working quite great, whatever it is. it's there, There's something that makes it not as perfect as it seems from the outside. Or maybe there are a few just like really perfect companies yeah. it's like the or businesses. Standard. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there probably are just like really happy, perfect things, but I don't yeah. know if I've ever met them, but... No, it seems like a lot of a lot of effort to be the perfect company. And I, I guess the whole point is to always strive to be better, um, which is also, I guess, a part of success is just constantly trying to be more of what you believe is successful. Yeah. And Fake it till you make it. Yeah. But with things like Instagram, when you basically get to see everyone's highlight reel, um, 
it's kind of hard because you might be like, wow, I've sold nothing today, but look at them. They're sending out 50 packages. I know the package pictures always are like so interesting to me because it's always like packing up all the orders and I'm like, but I didn't sell anything today. No one likes me. (laughs) Yeah. It's like not having an inferiority complex because maybe one day you do really well. They're not doing well. Exactly. People aren't going to necessarily post like, nope, didn't sell anything. Sucky day. Yeah. Um, That's why it's really important. In the beginning, I was like looking at day-to-day sales and getting depressed. I still do if things are oscillating a lot, but I keep telling myself, you have to at least look at month to month. And then you should really be looking quarter to quarter if you're actually trying Mm -hmm. to see if you're growing or not. Because if you're just always standing on top of the edge of a cliff thinking, any second, any second something's going to happen, you're not going to feel happy ever. Yeah. And so things like Instagram do make that really difficult um, because, again, you might be like, oh, look at them. They have X many followers and they're shipping out X many packages and that's so much more than me. But as a lot of people I feel like have been talking about is having followers doesn't mean having sales. And so that's the other thing is that you might see another shop or another business that has five times as many followers on Instagram or Twitter. Do people use Twitter? I don't know. I don't know Twitter, Pinterest, any, yeah, any, any platform. Yeah, anything. And you'll be like, wow, they must be doing so well. But you you can't actually gauge because 60,000 followers does not necessarily equal 60,000 dollars who are yeah who are willing to purchase from you and so it might seem like someone's doing really amazingly well but you don't know what it is actually like on their business end of things i've started to figure out maybe and i don't know if this is true for other people but i find that well first of all i'm confused are people still buying followers i think that's the word on the street but I don't know if you if there's any provable evidence. Uh, there's no way to prove it, and I just always wonder it because I'll, sometimes I'll see people with a lot of followers, but their engagement it's is really, really low, low yeah. but they have a lot of followers, so I can't really tell if they're if doing good yeah. business. And I don't know. I sound like I'm creeping on a lot of people <laughs> now, but... <laughs> um, but, I mean, there are things called micro... Well, things. People called micro-influencers. Have you heard of... You mentioned it the other day. Yeah. So it's like people who have not a lot of followers, but have really, really intense engagement. And so then they are equatable to, I guess, advertisers on the same scale as like someone who has a million followers, but has very low engagement versus someone who has like 15,000 followers, but has really high engagement. They might have the same and sales, marketing, yada, yada. Um, So that's also an interesting thing to think about is that Maybe you don't have a million followers, but if you but have, you have really high engagement really good followers. and like good comments, not just that are like heart, heart, heart. Um, I know. So, so much of it could be faked or not real these days. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's hard to know whether that means anything. And I'm super happy that at least for me right now, it's weird on my phone. I know they've been getting rid of vis- seeing likes on mm-hmm. your phone. Um, so I see it on my phone still, but I don't see it when I'm logged in on the computer really? right now, which is really great. I love not being able to yeah. see how many hearts a, per- a post gets from anybody. Yeah. It's really uplifting. Yeah. Cause then I guess you're not like, Oh, well, Oh, well normally I guess my, my thing with likes are, Oh darn, I'm the first person to like, like, like I'm such a do creeper. you want to stand out? Like- yeah. <laughs> so like, I guess that's a good way of hiding that. So you won't feel like a creeper who's accidentally liking someone's picture the first second they posted it but that might just be me but yeah so that's helping with perceived success versus actual success because now it makes it a little bit harder to judge yourself against someone even if you 
don't know. You probably shouldn't be doing it anyway. So no, you shouldn't. But we're all humans, so so yeah. And we all never left high school, apparently. Yeah. Oh no. Which is what we're finding out about humanity. I thought there was going to be flying cars, and all we have is Facebook. I was promised flying cars. (laughs) I I guess it's waiting for the next thing in which businesses can use as a platform to promote themselves. And I'm sure there will be something at some point. I don't know when, but because yeah. um, as people like to say, Instagram is a free app. It could go away at any time and the world would just fall apart. Yeah. But I mean, it shouldn't because Instagram's only been around for like 10 years. So it should have or less. It should have more stay power. Yeah. And so you're judging your success based on this free app that has no allegiance to you yeah. and anything could happen. And so it's kind of also being, you should grow a very good, authentic following that will follow you regardless, regardless of however you're putting your word out it. there. Yeah. And it's, I'm trying to, before all of this, like you usually only used to measure your success by, I would think your neighbors in mm-hmm. the area you're in, or yeah. maybe the city you're in, if you're getting that big, but you wouldn't like, no be like, I'm going to compare myself with, this store in i don't know germany randomly because you wouldn't know i mean even now i feel like unless you're having a very very um honest conversation with your neighbors you won't know how well they're doing and so then i guess really the only person you can compare yourself to well is against yourself by like Mm -hmm. what did i do last year in december and then versus what are we doing this year in december yeah i think it's been really helpful to me because philly has a really open creative shop community and a lot of people will talk amongst Mm -hmm. themselves so if i want to talk to another shop owner in a different neighborhood like everyone's always really open i think about like what it's been like for them um and i think that is almost more helpful than i don't know like how many followers? How many? Or, or no, just like just talking to someone mm-hmm. is a better gauge of seeing what else, what you could work on to make your business better, what's working for them. I think it's also healthier too because it's a real conversation, not just yeah. all in your head. Yeah, and you're not going to ruminate on whatever because you can honestly ask them and maybe they won't answer you, but yeah. and at like, least you can like yeah. say it. If it's slow on our block or in Old City, maybe I'll talk to someone later that week and be like, hey, it's been really slow foot traffic this week. Is that true for you too? And they're like, yeah, it's been totally dead. And you're like, good. And then we'll be like, good, affirmation. <laughs> and hopefully they're not like, no, it's been my best, best week, week ever. Year. And they'll be like, oh man. I mean, that. I guess that could happen too sometimes. Yeah. And then once in a while, people will like, maybe it's like they're doing better than they are. But Yeah. But I feel like it's just having honest relationships with people. Um will help you be able to gauge what's up. And again, it doesn't matter how well someone is doing in New York versus us in Philly because we're not the same business. We're not the same people. We're not the same product. And we're not paying $20,000 in rent. And we are not paying $20,000 in rent. So it's all, it's all, I don't know. I feel like the whole moral of this is just go against yourself, not, not other people. Because as long as you can keep paying your rent, you can pay your invoices, you can pay your employees, you can pay to keep the electric on, you're doing great. You're doing good. And also compare yourself against yourself. If you're just starting, that's kind of harder to do. Look at your numbers from two years ago. Are you doing yeah. better? That's great. If not, if not, maybe we'll... look at what you could do better <laughs> maybe then. But yeah. I think that's a much better way because I think I've been trying to do that more. Yeah. And then I realized the growth we've made instead of being like, oh, we're, if we feel stuck or something, and then I'll be like, not as upset. Yeah, because I mean, at um, this big box corporate store I worked at for three months, 
um, that's how we would gauge a day's um, profits. They would tell us like what we earned that day last year, yeah. like what our conversion rates are, like so how many people would come into the store and then end up purchasing. That's what a conversion rate is. Um, and so like all these different statistics, and that would be what we were trying to beat. We were trying to beat what happened a year ago, and that was out. That's a big company, and so I feel like that's a really good thing that small companies can take maybe not on a day by day basis, but on a month by month basis. Um, because obviously they had a lot more statistics and a lot more stores and a lot more everything to compare it. A lot against. of more data. Yeah. But then I feel like by them only comparing it to last year, that day, it kind of shows you that that's kind of all that matters because they have all this data, but we're only going against you on this day last year, not you against every other store in the country mm-hmm. on that day. It's like very narrowly focused yeah so compete with yourself yeah and i feel like that's a good way of just kind of always feeling like you're winning yeah hopefully you're always winning yeah (laughs) um and we got the thing we want to talk about is i think from the outside it's always really hard to know how someone started their business i mean you can go back you can find interviews and things like that but the question always comes with well where did the money come from and starting a business costs a lot of money and for me something that's been hard is not knowing like for me if someone has like I guess I have an easier time swallowing a a lot of success Mm -hmm. when I know that they worked really hard to get there and it was self-funded or at least crowdfunded or something where it was like they had skin in the game. Yeah. I have a harder time when, I don't know, I hear about, I guess we'll call them vanity projects. Yeah. Um, And so I've been trying to like let that go a little bit recently, but just like to let you know, there's um, a couple different kinds of ways people can start businesses. Some are self-made where Mm -hmm. you just provide and put in all your own money to start. Um, Another would be, now it's a newer one, is crowdsourcing, like things like Kickstarter or Patreon, which I think are really cool. Those didn't exist before. Mm -hmm. And, And then another is investors, getting people to invest in you, whether that's an angel investor where it's like one person or a couple people or it's a venture capitalist where yeah. they are investing in lots of different ventures at the same and that's time. that's their job. And that's their job. Yeah. Like that's the one thing they do. Or it could be also family money. Um, mm-hmm. There's probably other things, but I feel like those are the most common I see. Yeah. Um, and it's hard. You don't know which business is getting which thing. So if you're mm-hmm. like, man, I'm really jealous that so-and-so got yeah. to do this like crazy build out with yeah. a lot of great lighting and I haven't put in new lighting. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking about myself right now. <laughs> um, and oh, maybe I shouldn't compare that because I'm paying for everything yeah. myself. Versus someone who's like got an investor who's like, I blank check, blank check, do it, do it, go yeah. for it. Um, and that's like totally legit as well. It's just, if you don't know that someone had an investor and then they open up this gorgeous, fully custom store with like marble counters and like, it's nice to admire them and appreciate what they've done, but you shouldn't just sit there and be like, well, gosh, darn it. I didn't open up with this massive build out. I just opened up with a very modest, very clean, simple build out. But if, if you're paying out of pocket, it's a lot harder for you than if someone had an investor who's like, go for it. And then also when it's your money, it's yours versus an investor where you have to generally give them back, back something. Portion. You have to give them back profit or equity or something like that. And so it's just, 
you shouldn't exactly go and judge yourself against someone because unless you know them or know their full story, you're not going to know how it happened. Yeah. I guess I feel like when I think about it, investors seem like it might work for businesses that are really looking to grow out the wazoos in lots of different direction. But you have something really specific and you really want to focus and be able to work on it and pick everything yourself, that just might be a hard thing for you, even though that blank check is really appealing. But I think... Because they're looking for a return on investment. Yeah. If you're not planning on... Unless they're a very specific investor, if you're not planning on growing and making them a large profit, then it's probably not worth their time. I mean, again, we're not investors. This is our speculation. If anyone knows an investor, we'll talk to them. <laughs> but um, talk to them in the interviewing sense. <laughs> not, not for the store. But um, yeah, so it's kind of, again, it's like the thing with Instagram. It's like the highlight reel. It's, yeah. You don't necessarily know how they got there. But even like I think an angel investor might be better than a venture capitalist mm-hmm. investor because I think the angel investor will be more... I believe in your vision. I believe in yeah. your vision and they'll kind of, with some guidance probably, yeah. but I feel like the, the VCs are just for the profit, for the profit. Yeah. They're there for the profit. That's and, a fascinating. Which problem. is why I don't think we would ever do that. No. And things like crowdsourcing is also interesting because I'm not sure if that would ever necessarily work for a shop. No, I can't. I don't see no. how it would. Because normally I feel like you see little brands who are starting and who need like a kiln to fire their ceramics or they need a new piece of equipment like they will crowdsource that way and they'll essentially if you don't know how gofundme or such things work it's like i'll i don't know i did a gofundme a while ago for well i didn't do one i supported one for a ceramicist who was looking to buy like two kilns and i don't know make her studio more usable and so then in return i'm getting a piece of ceramics from her but it's it's kind of like a give and take. and But then there are things like Indiegogo, I think, is one that you just... No, I think you get rewards for Indiegogo. Yeah, a lot of There's these, one, if you're yeah. not familiar, they have these like... Sometimes people will off incentives. If you support like a me... Cup. A what? Like a cup. Like a or cup. A bar like, of soap. Yeah. They'll try to give you a little gift to thank you. Yeah. But there's some that just is... I guess... Is it GoFundMe that's just straight... I don't know. I, I feel like a lot more have popped up since I yeah. was aware of them. Um, yeah, because some of them will just give you money with nothing in return. And I feel like that's maybe a lot for more medical, like more humanitarian things, less business things. Um, but that's just another interesting way of, you know, garnering your own success. And um, Yeah, I feel like those are good ways. Yeah. They didn't exist before. Also, um, I feel like it makes... The business think about their business because like, you have to have you like have to pitch yourself and i feel like it's a really interesting way for the consumer to learn about the business because essentially they're giving you the elevator pitch as it's like why. a shark tank for yeah. the whole world yeah it's be. like a shark tank but you're trying to get real people who are not just in it to invest who are like oh i really support like i love your work I think you should have yeah more resources, so I'm going to help support your more resources. It's funny. It's something I would totally consider because I feel like it's a very healthy way to mm-hmm. get funding, um, and it feels like happy. Yeah, like it feels very, very positive yeah. and communal. Um, I don't really see how we could ever do it. I don't see what our payback would be to yeah. the community. Unless it's like relaunching the leather. Yeah, um, but even then, I don't know. So I just I don't see how it 
would work for us, but I think it's a really wonderful option that's out there. If you can avoid having loans and paying interest, oh, those things are not good. They will, but I still think having loans and interest is better than like maybe selling a portion of your company to the investor. I think I'm not positive. Maybe I would change my mind. I have no idea. Another thing I guess is if you could find someone, I guess in the strict sense of like a store, someone who would just be interested in investing in the property and would Mm -hmm. be like, you're going to be the long-term tenant here, do whatever you want. I'm going to support you and help you with that. But it's like they own the property. Yeah. So it's like, landlord landlord but like you pick pick your own yeah. landlord yeah <laughs> the other thing big part of business is yeah you have to be housed somewhere i think another interesting way to fund something that i've thought about is going in with multiple people mm-hmm. you know and trust to kind of like join your businesses together to yeah. kind of make it a bigger draw for other people to come and if you come together maybe you'll have more money to work with or your vision can get bigger and better it's like an indie department store exactly it's an indie department store <laughs> Paying rent and having a space is a huge commitment to any business, and maybe people are scared to take the leap or whatever, and so then if you can kind of get together and support one another and kind of split responsibilities and whatever, yeah, that's a good way of getting things. Yeah, just to tell, like, short story, I guess I've never really done an intro, mm-hmm. like... I started in 2000. Who am I? I started in 2008 and I remember there was this funny place. I lived in Boston, but there was a funny place in West Springfield, Massachusetts. What was it called? Osgoods Textile. And it was, it's changed since then. It used to be this whole warehouse. Now they only let you go in a portion of it. And they mainly had like upholstery fabric and just all this dead stock fabric. It was a really cool place. Um, they had a tiny leather section and I bought one hot half hide for $40, which to me, I was like, Oh my God, I'm spending so much money. I don't have much money in my bank account. Like, but I think I'm gonna, you know, make some bags and put them on Etsy for sale. And like, that's how it all started. And I was doing that for a few years. And somehow I paid my rent every month. I didn't have any money after. So like, I, I must've been making like seven hundred dollars a month somehow off of etsy but i had no but i but i had no other money after that i was living in a co-op in downtown boston with a lot of other people but somehow i was paying my rent um and so in these bags and so i just kind of kept slowly growing and selling and then at some point i had a studio at home i moved out of that co-op and then I had a bedroom that I was working out of. It was just like, and then finally, like two years after that, I moved into a studio and then I was paying studio rent in addition to my rent at home. And again, I was just kind of always just continuously breaking even for a long time. But I was like, I, I was enjoying doing that more than going to work for somebody else. Like it wasn't worth it for me to work mm-hmm. someone else. <laughs> Um, and then eventually I ended up having the whole studio instead of sharing it with someone else. And I think when I left my rent there was $1,600. That's not bad. It's not bad when I think about it now, but like it, to me, that was a lot of money. Um, it still is a lot of money. Um, but, and then I slowly started carrying other brands, but sometime during that point, I was trying to get my leather stuff funded or a loan from a bank because my production was getting so expensive because so I started working with a factory outside of Boston for one bag to go into production for the development costs I was like getting each one was like $3000 at the end of the day cuz we did many versions 
And so I like, I forget how much I wrote up for a loan, but a bank was like, oh yeah, you know, make a business plan and ask for a loan. And long story short, I made this 60 page business plan with projections and everything. And right away they were like, oh no, we can't give you money. And I'm like, well, why did you ask me to tell me that like it was worth me doing this? I obviously told you I didn't own any house. I had no collateral. I feel like I could probably get a loan now because we've been in business longer, but I think banks are very hesitant to fund product-oriented ventures. Yeah. Real estate, yes, probably. Because then there's something to take back at the end of the day if it doesn't work out. Yeah. Versus you being like, I got my leather bags, and they're like... We don't want your leather bags. Yeah, we don't want your leather bags. (laughs) I'm not going to come in and seize your leather bags if you go under. Yeah. So I just kept churning and churning and just kept trying to save and save money. And after I paid for like a portion of my build out when the store opened and we moved down here, I think I had five or six thousand dollars left in my checking account. (laughs) And I was so nervous. (laughs) Yeah, because it's like going from a studio to a store is a huge, a huge undertaking. And even since I've been here, the store. I mean, I've been here since I guess almost the beginning of the store being mm-hmm. open. I started a few months after it opened. So you've been like here two, two years, years and, and a bit and four months maybe. Something. The entire store has just evolved so much since then because when it started, I think we had like one small IKEA table and one chair, and then like <laughs> one table, and that was the extent. There was clothing racks, but that was that was pretty much it. And then from then, if you follow us on Instagram, you'll see like we have these cases, we have some beautiful large mirrors, and it all just takes a lot of time because you know after you build out, it's like when you buy a home. Yeah, because each like yeah. large piece of nice furniture, you're going to be putting out like two to five thousand dollars, and yeah. I didn't have that in the beginning at all. And also I think it helps the store grow kind of more organically because unless you're going to have a designer who's very good at having a full encompassing vision. Which would have been wonderful. Yeah. But but I had no money. Yeah. So you have not a lot of money and you have not a lot of stuff and our stuff is mostly all antique or handmade. So it's kind of hard to like wrap your head around how to do a full store build out. Um, So that's kind of And also if you've never worked with like construction people before or you're not familiar with like, this is what it's normal for an HVAC system to look like and operate. A giant pipe sticking out the side of the store. Like how do you know when it's done right or not? Yeah. And so it's kind of, it's, I mean, I, I have never bought a house, but I just assume it's kind of like buying a house. Like you put all this money into it and then you have nothing left. And then you're kind of like, well now what? You're like, I hope someone buys something. You're like, I need to start recuperating my efforts. And so that's another thing about, you know, success. It's because now efforts have been recuperated. Now we've got some really cool antique pieces for the store. And now we're also like carrying brands in the beginning that I never thought those brands oh, yeah. would ever think about working with me. Cause I'm just little tiny, little, Julia, little tiny Austin. me. Like <laughs> I don't have any, like, <laughs> yeah. And so I guess it's kind of, kind of like college you know like when you're applying like you have your safety and then you have your reach and so it's like yeah. some of the brands we're carrying now are kind of the reach brands like the oh wouldn't it be amazing Missing if, if one we day carried, we could carry them. them and now we, we do them. and that's so exciting and but that didn't happen 10 years ago no that happened like pretty much i think a lot of that kind of stuff happened a, a few happened earlier on that i would have expected mm-hmm. but like most of the ones really happened in the past i'd say 12 months yeah And so it's exciting, but again, it's kind of, I guess it's a perceived success because yes, you have these exciting brands, but it took a really long time to get there from Julia sewing leather bags in a co-op. It's been 11 years. I was, yes, sewing leather bags in 
Okay, let's just... Uh, it was a Quaker co-op. I am not a Quaker, but it was it's a really cool confusing. place. I probably sound like yeah. a hippie. They're not Shakers or Amish people. Yeah. <laughs> Quakers are very different. But anyway, I was showing these cute. little... In the bag, I don't know. They were just like... They're really cute. I mean, I don't know. Simple. I learned a lot about sewing since then. I'm a much better seamstress yeah. now. I would like look at my work 2008 now and I'd be like, that goes in the trash. No offense to anyone who has a bag from back then. If you do, that is amazing. It has held on so well. But again, it's kind of the whole, it didn't happen overnight. So if a small store is opening and they're like, gosh, golly, look at Ren. They've got all these brands that I would love to carry. Yes, we do, but it's taken so long to get there. And so the expectation of opening a shop and starting out with these big brands who don't work with many people is not unless again you have an investor but even then i feel like people want a track record they want to know that you are trustworthy that you have credit yeah yeah and so that's like again on the perceived success is that maybe 10 years ago someone would be like wow julia's not very successful like she's barely breaking even every month yeah and also people will say no to you a lot like i reached out to a lot of people when we opened i think they said no or something or they wanted to meet me in person first or somehow like hey fly to paris and i was like i don't have money to fly to paris (laughs) i'm making leather bags out of my second bedroom (laughs) yeah and so it's kind of the whole again if people don't know the history of the store, they may be like, wow, look at that. That's crazy. But again, it's kind of started from the bottom and grown grown up. It's like a child. It's like a child. It went from being like a little helpless baby to being, you know, a person that can walk around and figure out what's up. Yeah. I also think I wanted to mention and talk about like how networking fits mm-hmm. into all of this. Because... Um, it's funny, I really like meeting and talking to a lot of other people. I think it's really fun, but there's a part of this that's harder for me and that's networking Mm -hmm. and making these connections with people. It's like a means to an end. And I feel like for a long time, I felt like I had to do certain things so that the store would be legitimate Mm -hmm. somehow. And sometimes I felt like I meshed well with people, but then sometimes I felt like I was kind of a weirdo. I was, there was something a little like off about me and how I operated and I just didn't feel accepted in the normal kind of like New York. Mm-hmm. It can be a little clicky and aggressive yeah. and assertive and I kind of wanted to run the other direction. So I think you have to build, again, build your own world and build your own success and tell your own story because mm-hmm. you can't rely on other, yeah. I mean, you can network and it's important and knowing the right people helps, but you have to like slowly like put yourself in yeah. there. Cause in the beginning you might be like, no one's really interested in you. Yeah. Throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be you. You're going to be thrown at the wall. Well, and one day you will stick. <laughs> yes. Hopefully. Um, I still don't quite feel sticky. I'm stickier than I used to be, <laughs> but I still have a lot of insecurities. Cause yeah. I feel, I think for me it comes down. I feel like someone's going to find out like that. I'm faking it all somehow. Yeah. Like, or is this imposter Imposter syndrome? syndrome. Yeah. Yeah. That like you do, you own a store. There's merchandise in the store. People buy from the store, but it's still, but look at them. And again, it's like the whole, well, don't look at them because they're not you. And so therefore they have a big, beautiful store in LA or New York. That's not us. That's not here. It's not the same people. It's not the same customers. It's not the same anything. And so, you know, it's the whole, yeah compare you to you not to them um so yeah because there's still things like we want to do with the store with the space but 
I guess I'm fiscally conservative, <laughs> I guess you'd say. Um, and I, I'm not just like, I don't know. Not like, let's build a giant it's disco ball. ball. Like, and I would, I, I would love a giant disco. disco ball in the center of the store, but I'm always thinking about practical. bills and yeah. practical things. And I remember like, so to this day, I'm like, I really hate the lighting in the store. Um, mm-hmm. but I, there's so many, there's so much area to cover that I have never paid to change it. And I have a lot of shame about that and think that my store is ugly because my lighting is like it is. Um, But we will change it eventually. But it's like, I'm like, that makes me, for some reason, the lighting makes me feel like my store is not a legitimate store, even though like... No one notices. But no, yeah. When it comes down to customer shopping, like no one seems to really notice. Uh, No one's ever been like... Yeah, you've got really ugly lighting. lighting. It's <laughs> these ugly fluorescent lights and yeah. there's lots of squares and you get this kind of bowling ball effect going down the yeah. center. But it's, again, it's like they don't know everything. Mm-hmm. They don't know that you hate the lights and they're just like, wow, look at this space. There's such good light from mostly from the windows. But, um, and so again, it's kind of compare you to you, not to the store that's like, I mean, also it probably doesn't help that. If you've ever been to Old City, Philadelphia, it's a lot of showrooms for interior designers, interior, I mean, I guess designers, but like people that do very high end, very beautiful custom furniture and lighting. So we're on a street that's full of these beautiful furniture stores and beautiful lighting stores. And And they all have track lighting. Yeah. I don't. And so (laughs) it's kind of... For them, though, it makes sense for them to invest heavily in the lighting in their store because they're, they're a lighting selling store it. Yeah. Versus us, who it doesn't make sense to then throw a chunk of change at it now, but in time it will. But I feel like that also adds to the whole kind of superiority complex is like our direct neighbors are lighting designers. So it's kind of hard because you walk past and you're like, wow, look at that beautiful hand blown glass orb thing that's like floating magically in the middle of the store and it looks amazing. Um, so again, compare you to you, not to them. Cause we're not a lighting store. No, we're not a lighting store. Not yet. No, I don't think we are going to be one. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're, if you're experiencing something like anxiety about your lighting or something, anxiety about your floor, anxiety about, I don't know. No one's noticing. It. No one's noticing it. You're just probably noticing yeah. it. I mean, I'm still noticing it. I remember when I did was wholesaling and I did a trade show one year, I made a tablecloth specifically to the size of the table that I knew was going to be there. Like I sewed a cube and then my friend came up and she was like, did you sew a tablecloth to the size of the cube? <laughs> and I thought no one's going to notice that. But I, so sometimes people do notice, but they have to know like how idiosyncratic yeah. you are. <laughs> no, they have to like, there has to be some informed view of it. Cause again, like unless there's a giant gaping hole in the middle of your store, you're probably fine. <laughs> and like, so there's, there is, there is like some bare minimum minimums. Like it's gotta be safe. But again, things like lighting, it's just kind of, window dressing like it's all just kind of personal preference and yeah it's not beautiful i don't think anyone would say the lighting is beautiful but it's not a way of it's not delegitimizing the business in any way it's just not pretty yeah the other thing we wanted to talk about is like another way people can project or assume success is like the use of the words you use when you describe your venture elise first brought this up a couple days ago saying we the royal we the royal we and not not presenting who you are to kind of create an aura of larger than um because i think we talked about this before is that people sometimes think that 
run as a bigger business than it is. And they'll be like, I'm talking to the customer support department. And I'm like, there is no customer support department. And so it's kind of a way of projecting success. Cause even if you are a solo person, you might say, oh, we are so excited for this because if you say I, it might make it too personal and people might think you're not as legit because you're just one person. And who would want to give business to one person yeah. and they feel like maybe you're not professional. Yeah. Maybe, maybe you as a candle maker, just being you by yourself is not good. How do they know that you're trustworthy? You can't, you don't even have an employee or whatever, but it's, that's not what makes a company legitimate. So yeah, people using the word we and not showing their face and kind of being this, I guess, kind of secret, secret store, secret business where you can't really pin down who's who and who's what. Um, I mean, I personally love businesses when you know who it is and you get behind the scenes. Um, yeah. I mean, that's what I used to like about reading crafting blogs back in the day where people were making patterns or sewing things was like getting to know them. Yeah. Cause that's personally like I would... If I can see, if you're a jewelry maker and I can see you with a soldering, uh, whatever. And iron. Iron? Is it? But then is it iron? Soldering iron. I don't know. Use that for stained glass. Anywho, um, I feel like if you see the components and then see them become torch. made into something. Torch. Soldering <laughs> torch. Um, it, I feel like that is success to me because I feel like, wow, you can take this from nothing into something. Where some people might think that, oh, you're not legit. You're not in some beautiful studio working with these amazing high-end tools to make your jewelry or whatever but I think I think it gives you personality and makes you seem like a legitimate I think legitimate to me because I'm like you're not a faceless brand I know you're not just buying it you're not like a drop shipper and I think it's becoming more appealing to people to see that over time yeah that like the call for being like I want to know who you are yeah and your story behind whatever it's a search for authenticity. Or Elise introduced me to a term the other day. What was it? Radical transparency. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I'm like, yes, that is that is happening right now. We are being yeah. radically transparent, and it's sometimes a bit too much. Yeah, sometimes I feel like I'm like, whoa, like tone it down. Tone it down, but mainly because I feel like it's starting to be used as a marketing tool. Yes. Like, I don't think people are being authentically radically transparent. Yeah. No, <laughs> so like, that feels like a... Yeah. But there's... It's, again, like, what the success is that I feel like it's kind of radically transparent, but highlighting yourself kind of in a good light versus, like, a bad light. Because um, I don't know if you need to go on Instagram every day and be like, I've had three sales that equal blank amount of money, and that's what's happening. Because that might be helpful, but I don't know if necessarily you need to tell everyone that, but it is being radically transparent. You'd be like, I made no money today. Have a nice day. Um, because... That might kind of work against you. I mean, it's totally fine to talk to people about it, but maybe not advertise everything. But again, that's the whole conversation about having Instagram or whatever be your highlight reel and not your real reel. And so, I don't know. It's all something to think about. I know there is still something, though, when it's blah, blah, blah presents blah, blah, blah. Like, it it sounds more professional, like Mm -hmm. you're a gallery somehow. And I think that that's never going to go away, the sense of, like, anonymity bringing professionalism. But I can't say why that's true. It makes it sound like it's an organization. Yeah, Yeah, it's ingrained. I hope it switches around. Like, there are people I know, and I'm like, oh, I wish you would speak like I. or, Or just say things or if it is i don't know if it is we mention a few people's name or something yeah. but sometimes it's just 
Yeah, because there are definitely some businesses that do really, really well at highlighting their employees and, like, who who's making it happen. Mm-hmm. And I really appreciate that because also people are, people are interesting. Um, and so I guess that's, like, one radical transparency thing is just kind of being like, this is who everyone is. And I think, actually, yeah, I think it's you look more successful if you have, you're listing all the people involved yeah. or something. Or even if it's just you. Even if it's a, you. you. Yeah, um, and not just being like, Hi, I'm me. This is my business. Bye. Like, having, like, <laughs> a bye. little bit more behind it, I think, is a good way of not just, like, projecting perceived success, but just kind of being, I don't know, I guess transparent and honest and yeah. authentic. All the favorite words that everyone loves to I use I love now. to use now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think also, for me, I perceive success when I see, and I don't know if this is true or not, when I see businesses being insanely active Mm-hmm. or traveling a lot because I think yeah. or like have they have photo shoots where they're traveling a lot or able mm-hmm. to shoot in lots of locations because now I, I'm just getting into photography a lot more now than I thought mm-hmm. I ever would and I'd love to do more on set locations like both with the business or just for fun and to yeah. me like the luxury of shooting outside yeah. sounds amazing and let alone be able to travel to another country to do it that's another thing is like taking your own photos all that I mean that's like probably a other yeah because i think that it is another conversation but i think taking your own photos will help you find whatever voice you yes. have for your brand your story whatever your thing it is that you're doing um yeah and that will help photograph that will help you feel successful once you've defined how you want to present yourself yeah and again even if you're not the one taking photographs but having a constant you're styling idea. it whatever yeah um so that yep Oh, also, okay, this one's going a little longer, but, like, I guess also when I am, like, oh, I really like what this person is doing, and I have, like, my perceived success of them, like, I just want to talk about that, and Elisa's, too, like, when we think about... For me, it's changed over time a little bit. Like, my goals are for, like, oh, I'd really like to work with this person. Like, now what I consider successful is, like, when I really see someone, I'm like, you are going for your vision. Like, to me, that is successful. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's how I see perceived success in other people now is how much, how, how far can they take their vision. Yeah, and how committed they are and again it's like maybe they seem really joyful and it's just kind of a show but i like to believe that some people who seem very joyful are in fact very joyful yeah like if they're yeah. like really excited about this shirt i like to believe they're like insanely excited about the shirt they just got in that's the dog the dog is hitting all these hangers on the ground i'm sorry if you can hear that i guess it's people who seem i don't know just still passionate regardless mm-hmm. of how long they've been doing it yeah um, so maybe for us success equals passion yeah and like the love of whatever you're doing, doing. yeah, because it will show. Yes, that's for sure. Yeah, I just really love it when you like know who's doing things. Yeah, um, I remember someone said to me recently, like who came in? Maybe it was a friend. Like, oh, you were, you sounded like you were so excited about this skirt. I mean, I just had to come yeah. see it. It just sounded so great, and I'm like, oh, really? Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> I'm glad I made it that exciting. The best skirt ever. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of. Not not being jaded and not losing your love for what you do, you do. yeah. Because if you start to lose that, it will show. it will show, and then you'll be sad. And so I think that that wraps it up pretty yeah. much. So those are some of our wonderful thoughts on perceived success in the small business world. Yes, that. 
All right. Well, have a super day, everybody. While we were recording, we just got a new shoe delivery that came in in the front. We're actually very excited. We're actually very excited. We've actually been like, oh, do we save the shoes as like a reward to open (laughs) after we finish recording? I voted no, but Julie voted yes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So we will see you next time, guys. Bye.